Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking, where we dive deep into regional headlines and speak with leading policymakers and business leaders. I am Katie Jensen. More than four and a half months into Israel's ongoing bombardment of Gaza, the EU remains deeply divided in its response. While Ireland and Spain have vehemently called for Israel to be held accountable for its continued atrocities against the two million people trapped inside Gaza, an ominous silence has hung over other member states. On this episode of Frankly Speaking, we hear from Simon Coveney, the Irish Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, on Ireland's unwavering resolve to shield Palestinian lives from the ravages of conflict. We also ask him if bolder action is needed to stem the tide of support for Israel's allies in Washington and find out why Ireland's high-stakes trade talks with Saudi Arabia could have huge implications for the two nations in the year ahead. Minister, thank you for joining us today on Frankly Speaking. Now, you were recently quoted as saying that we are witnessing Israel behaving like a rogue state. Now, this is strong language. And while several countries around the world would agree with this, there doesn't seem to be a consensus within the EU. Frankly speaking, how much support do you think Ireland enjoys within Europe on this topic? Well, look, I think I think Mike comments in relation to the war in Gaza were a reflection of, of the frustration of many, many Irish people, but also many other people around the world uh, that, are, that want to see progress on finding the basis for a ceasefire. Uh, and then, of course, uh, trying to make that ceasefire permanent uh, so that we can focus on uh, responding to the extraordinary human suffering that we're seeing across Gaza now. So, that's not in any way to, to diminish uh, the strong Irish criticism and condemnation of the terror attacks that happened to Israeli citizens uh, on the 7th of October last. Uh, but, but since that awful uh, attack uh, on Israel, uh, we have seen uh, a, a level of military activity uh, in Gaza that has been devastating. Um, you know, that's seen almost 30,000 lives lost many of them women and children, uh, and of course, a, a, a population within Gaza now uh, that is close to starvation. Uh, and, uh, and we need to respond in the context of international law, international humanitarian law, the UN Charter. Uh, and, uh, and really, um, you know, my, my comments were about uh, uh, responding to the fact that, that Israel uh, seems not to be listening uh, to to many of its partners and allies who really are now encouraging restraint uh, and trying to find a basis for a ceasefire. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that because again we've seen a very strong response from Ireland. We've seen a strong response from Spain as well. But there's many people in this part of the world would have an issue is what they're describing as European double standards because on the one hand uh, we saw a very unified Europe and its condemnation of Russia's behaviour in Ukraine and yet they've been quite reluctant to do the same in Israel where the occupation has been going on for far longer. Yeah, well, look, I mean, there's a number of things there. I mean, first of all, Russia's aggression uh, against Ukraine is effectively an attack on Europe. 
So it's not surprising that that European countries are very vocal in their criticism of that and in their support for Ukraine. I mean, this is an unprovoked attack by Russia. Uh, it is essentially trying to change internationally accepted boundaries by force. Uh, and of course, many countries in the European Union have vivid memories uh, of the threat that Russia has posed to their sovereignty uh, in the past, particularly countries on the eastern part of the European Union. So I think that is a uniquely uh, European challenge uh, and, uh, and Russia's aggression towards Ukraine is seen as Russian aggression towards, towards Europe and our way of life. Um, this, uh, this round of violence and conflict uh, between Israelis and, and Palestinians uh, let's not forget how it started. You know, uh, uh, Hamas attacked Israeli citizens, brutally uh, killed many innocent people. I, I don't think the incident started on October 7. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Minister. But again, if I think when we look at the start date of the real occupation, we're talking about a situation decades long. But I, I understand what you're saying. Katie, I, I, I accept that. And, and, and as recently as last week, the attorney general to the Irish government um, uh, made a, a presentation to the, the International Court of Justice in The Hague in the context of Israel's responsibility as an occupying power in Palestinian territory and the, the breaches of, of international law that have taken place for many years. So, you know, Ireland's view in relation to Israel-Palestine is a clear one. Uh, we believe that there is a need for a two-state solution a Palestinian state uh, uh, that stands on its own. But we also, of course, understand that in that context, uh, Israel has to be reassured of, of its own security, uh, uh, which has been so fundamentally uh, undermined and attacked on the 7th of October. So you know, I think that Ireland has been and continues to be a consistent and strong voice for a Palestinian state but, that, but, but, but just in that context, let me be very clear, there is no tolerance or acceptance in Ireland for the kind of terrorism and brutality that we saw on the 7th of October. Nothing justifies that. Uh, and, you know, I'm someone who's been to Gaza many times. I've been to Israel and Palestinian territories many times. Uh, and so we want to work with um, a Palestinian authority uh, that believes in peace. Uh, um, uh, and we also, we also want to work with, with Israeli governments also. Uh, but but we will not shy away from calling out breaches of international law when they occur. A absolutely. But uh, I think, again, I think we need we to look at what is a proportional response. And I do agree with you in terms of the October 7 attacks, but I think we have to look at what is proportionate. 1,200 lives lost, several hundred are hostages taken. Absolutely devastating. The death toll of the crisis in Gaza is above 29,000. But, uh, but let's move on a little bit because I want to ask you about some of your comments. Uh, you've recently said that for Israel to behave like a monster, to defeat a monster was not acceptable. You've also said that we need to see an end to the savagery that is continuing in Gaza. But frankly speaking, when we continue to see countries like America continue to veto a ceasefire while at the same time time arming Israel. Do you feel like a lot of your criticism is falling on deaf ears? Well, I mean, when I made that comment, when I said, you know, you, you can't become a monster to defeat a monster, really what I'm referring to there is that a, a democratic state like Israel has got to abide by the parameters of international law. And so even war has rules. 
uh, and uh, and so you know we all have a responsibility to hold each other to account in the international community. And you know, in our view, in Ireland, uh, what Israel is doing in Gaza is completely disproportionate to what's required uh, as uh, as necessity necessary for the defense of Israel. Um, and the the thousands and thousands of children and women who've lost their lives under buildings that have collapsed on top of them. Um, this is something that, that needs to stop and needs to be called out uh, and is not necessary for the defense of Israel. Uh, of course, there must be a consequence to what Hamas did uh, on the 7th of October. Um, and uh, Israel has a right to defend itself. Uh, but the, the extent of what has happened and the loss of life and injury in Gaza is in my view not justified uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, is certainly a breach of many uh, 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 aspects of international law and humanitarian law that needs to be called out, which is why we are such a strong advocate for a ceasefire. And picking up on your comments there on a ceasefire, there's certainly been a lot of talks and hopes, uh, certainly from the uh, American side at least, that a ceasefire and hostage exchange deal could be agreed before the start of Ramadan. Now, should those efforts be successful, what do you think the role is of countries like Ireland and the EU in helping turn this potential ceasefire into something permanent? Well, we'll do everything we can to to turn a ceasefire into you know into a permanent absence of conflict, uh, 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 and we use our voice within the European Union and within the UN uh, to advocate for that. On your, your question around uh, U.S. military support for Israel, I think that's a fair question. But I think, to be fair, uh, U.S. support for Israel uh, extends uh, far beyond the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, and Israel is seen and is a very strong uh, uh, ally of the United States in the region uh, in the context of tensions with Iran uh, and, you know, and other conflicts uh, uh, across the Middle East. So I think it's important to, to broaden that discussion out rather than seeing U.S. support for Israel solely in the context of what's happening then, in Gaza. What, what are your, um, what are your thoughts yeah. then? Because we continue to see Washington uh, ask Israel to take restraint. And then on the flip side, we continue to see the administration uh, arm them with, with weapons and shells. Yeah, but I think, look, the, the, uh, the diplomatic discussions that are happening between uh, the U.S. and Israel uh, are, are our best chance. Uh, of uh, succeeding in uh, uh, in seeing a, a ceasefire happen But do you soon. not see that there is a disconnect uh, were, between calling yeah, no, from restraint and sending arms continuously? I can, yes, but I think I think the signal that that would be sent to the broader Middle East region of the US uh, preventing uh, arms uh, coming from the US to Israel, I think would potentially be a danger one in terms of a signal to Iran and others uh, who are enemies of Israel. Uh, and I think the US knows that. So I think we need to be realistic here on, on what's possible, but also maintain pressure uh, on Israel to, to agree to a ceasefire and to the terms of that ceasefire, um, which I think, of course, needs to result in the release of hostages uh, and uh, a reassurance to Israel on, uh, on core defensive issues. But, but must deliver uh, an end to the brutality and conflict that we're seeing 
uh, in Gaza and the extraordinary suffering that Palestinians uh, are uh, are living through. Uh, and uh, and by the way, even in the absence of conflict, uh, the the efforts that the international community are going to need to put in place in Gaza to to prevent starvation, uh, to respond to the extraordinary uh, challenges around healthcare uh, and basic provisions uh, um, is is huge. I mean, there there are only a few hospitals left that are actually functioning in Gaza for, for so, millions of so people. So let's talk about some of that um, action so, then, because so I there, hear what you're saying about the hospitals as well. Clearly, we need more action from the international community. Uh, I want to ask your thoughts because we have seen Spain, another EU country, which has also been very vocal about Israel's disproportionate response. They have said they will impose sanctions on the violent Israeli settlers in the West Bank unilaterally if the EU can't agree on a deal. So, Minister, is Ireland also ready to impose the sanctions unilaterally? Yeah, we, we'll, we'll look to try to do that, but we would much rather that these sanctions were imposed uh, collectively by the European Union. And I think there are 26 of the 27 countries uh, that are uh, in agreement uh, in terms of doing that. I mean, let's not forget the US too has introduced sanctions on violent settlers uh, uh, in the West Bank uh, to send a very strong signal that they regard what is happening in parts of the West Bank in terms of uh, violence against Palestinians is totally unacceptable. Okay, but um, just so to be clear, Europe Ireland be able to is do that prepared too, uh, to take those steps. Our, if, if there our, is no EU deal, our, Ireland is prepared to take those steps. Yes, we are. Okay. And what do you make of the recent ICJ verdict on Israel? Were you disappointed? Please, do you think it's merely symbolic or, or does the verdict have real implications? Well, sorry, I, I, I think you're referring to the South African case that was taken and the preliminary ruling that was made by the ICJ, which was essentially to say that they um, they they have effectively um, uh, made a ruling which 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 says to Israel uh, that they need to to ensure uh, that they uh, that they take actions to to avoid anything that could be seen as potential genocide. Uh, and of course, that is that is an important statement, uh, and there is a legal obligation to respond to that in a way that is that is positive uh, from an Israeli perspective. Let's not forget the ICJ hasn't called out the actions to date as genocide. That's a much longer case uh, that that South Africa is taking that will probably take years uh, to get a full outcome. Uh, but the but the initial. Uh, ruling and statement from the ICJ is really about trying to prevent further escalation. Uh, uh, and I think that is welcome. I mean, given the incredible destruction, the sheer size of what has taken place in the enclave, would Ireland be willing to step in and help with reconstruction efforts when the war eventually comes to an end? Absolutely. I mean, we, we already fund uh, significantly uh, support programs for Palestinians uh, across the West Bank uh, and previously across Gaza as well. Uh, we're one of the strongest supporters of UNRWA uh, as really the only scaled up humanitarian organization that can uh, that can provide the, the, the scale of supports that Palestinians need in Gaza and indeed across the West Bank in the context of education, in the context of healthcare, in the context of food vouchers, so even in the last number of weeks, Ireland has, while other countries have actually been pulling their funding or freezing their funding to UNRWA, 
because of a potential scandal uh, of uh, some UNRWA staff being involved uh, in, the, in the terror attacks of October the 7th, even though a very small number may have been involved. Let's wait and see what the investigation determines. Uh, but separately to that, uh, Ireland has tried to give a signal to other funders of UNRWA that given the scale of human suffering that we're seeing at the moment, this is an organization that needs to be supported. Uh, and so we have increased our funding by, by 20 million in the last number of weeks, which means now that we will be giving more than 40 million euros to UNRWA. And we hope that that gives a signal to other uh, countries that are funders and supporters of UNRWA that they need to continue to do that. And of course, let's, let's allow the, the investigation to take its course and to, to determine what happened. And there will be consequences to that, I'm sure. But in the meantime, this is an organization that desperately needs international funding to get much needed humanitarian support to many Palestinian families. Of course, there's so many lives at stake right now as that investigation is ongoing. Uh, well, let's shift gears a little bit, because as we mentioned earlier, you are in the region this week for the big WTO meeting that's taken place in the UAE, but you've also visited Riyadh just for one day. So I'd be interested to understand during your visit to Saudi Arabia, did you discuss Gaza with the Saudi officials and, and what is your assessment of the Saudi-led efforts to try and de-escalate the situation in Gaza? Yeah, so, I mean, to be to be honest, this is my third time in Riyadh. Uh, and each time I've come here, it's been with a different hat on, if you like. The first time I was in Riyadh, I was a minister for agriculture uh, in Ireland, uh, agriculture and food. And we were, we were effectively supporting a new partnership between a large Irish dairy company uh, and a and a Saudi-based uh, cheese company. And that, that, that partnership has proven to be very successful since. Uh, the second time I was in Saudi, I was here as, as a foreign minister uh, that was sitting on the UN Security Council. Uh, and we were here very much talking about tension in the region in the context of Iran, in the context of Yemen, uh, and the important role that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has to play in terms of regional stability. This time I'm here as a Minister for Enterprise and Trade. And so very much the focus today is, is on enterprise and trade and investment opportunities. Um, so I've already met leaders in terms of Saudi fintech here. And later on today, uh, we'll be speaking to, uh, to a number of uh, Saudi business leaders in terms of the telecom industry here. And we're here with a number of Irish companies. So it's a so this is this is very much this is very much. A, I was saying I, I want to ask you about some of those meetings in just a moment. But have you been discussing the situation in Gaza? Has that been in your agenda this week? Well, look, I, I mean, I think it's it's impossible to come to this part of the world and not talk about what is currently happening in in Gaza uh, because I think everybody is uh, is is watching uh, and is horrified by the the human suffering and loss of life. So, and I think people know when they speak to an Irish government minister that we are both interested and engaged in this debate. Um, so yes, uh, on the sidelines of a lot of the trade discussions, uh, of course, we're, we're talking about uh, regional conflict uh, and, uh, and it's impossible not to focus on, uh, on the Israel-Palestine conflict that we're seeing right now in Gaza. Also, the tension that we're seeing uh, in terms of the Red Sea and what, what uh, Houthi rebels are doing in terms of targeting shipping in the Red Sea, which essentially is targeting global trade, because about 30% of 
uh, of global goods trade uh, transit tr transits through the the Suez Can uh, Canal and and the Red Sea, which is significantly being disrupted right now. Um, so. So, yeah. Um, uh, sorry to interrupt you. I, I want to ask you about some of those trade talks as well. I know you uh, recently met with the Minister of Commerce, Majid Al-Kasabi, uh, amongst other officials as well. So what, what were the issues other than Gaza that were at the top of your agenda of your visit to Saudi? Oh, well, I mean, the, the main topic of discussion is, 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 is Saudi ambition, really, uh, in terms of the, the vision for 2030, uh, the extraordinary... Uh, scale of project development uh, that is currently happening in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, whether that's on the you know the Red Sea coast in terms of tourism, uh, or whether it's the scale of development uh, in terms of some of uh, some of the other projects around uh, uh, around Saudi Arabia and the the opportunity for for international business that comes from that, whether it's construction, whether it's technology, whether it's energy, whether it's transport and tourism, uh, whether it's medtech. Uh, and uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and of course, all of these sectors are very, very strong in Ireland. Uh, we have a lot of capacity. You know, Ireland has become a very globalized economy and some of the largest companies in the world in many of these sectors already have a very large international presence in Ireland. I, um, I, so, I want to ask you about some of those sectors, technology and services in particular, which Ireland is famous for. I was interested to see that they don't figure in the list of top exports from Ireland. Is that list something that you would like to see reordered as Ireland's trade minister? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'd like to see two things happening. First of all, you know, I'd like to see, you know, more Irish product here in, uh, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia because we believe it's very high quality. And secondly, we'd like to see more Irish companies here because I know that, you know, part of the, the evolution of the economy here uh, is to see more foreign companies here, uh, employing, of course, uh, Saudis, as well as bringing skills from abroad. Uh, and we think that Irish companies are very good at that. You know, they've, they've done that very successfully in other markets like the United States and Canada and Australia and the UK and across Europe. Uh, and we think across the Gulf states, we already have about 16,000 Irish people uh, living in this part of the world, but we think that number could significantly increase. And with it, uh, we believe a lot of Irish-based solutions, particularly in terms of technology, uh, can be uh, very much part of a growing economy here. And given the scale of investment that we're seeing, the population growth that we're seeing here, uh, it's an extraordinary opportunity for Irish companies, but also we think an opportunity for Saudi Arabia to actually tap into to Irish technology, which is certainly some of the best in the world. And I think you have around 200 companies in Saudi Arabia and certainly some big opportunities there as we look towards achieving Saudi's 2030 vision. Now, we mentioned earlier the fact that you've also been in Abu Dhabi this week, taking part in the World Trade Organization's ministerial conference. Now, you said Ireland is keen to see the reforms needed to ensure that the WTO is able to meet the challenges of the modern economy today in terms of boosting digital trade, in terms of being able to tackle industrial subsidies and really enable stronger action when it comes to tackling climate change. Minister, is there a sense in Dublin that the WTO is failing to keep pace with the changes in these kinds of areas? Well, I mean, Ireland, like every small country, wants to see the WTO working, you know, because 
the WTO and its dispute resolution mechanisms and uh, mechanisms uh, and support programs is in many ways the great leveler uh, to allow small countries to trade under agreed rules with larger countries and larger blocks of countries. And so Ireland is a big believer in the WTO as a basis for international trade. But like, like many others, we've been somewhat frustrated uh, at the inability of the WTO membership to get agreement on certain things. And so that's what this week in, uh, in Abu Dhabi is about. You know, we're trying to get agreement on a functioning dispute resolution mechanism um, so that small and large countries can operate to the same rules. And if they don't, there's a mechanism that, uh, that countries can refer to uh, to actually get a resolution to, uh, to breakdowns in those rules. Um, as you'd expect, a lot of discussion around fisheries, around agriculture, around domestic country supports uh, to make sure that they're not distorting international trade. Um, there's also increased discussion now on how do you actually set the rules and parameters for international trade on e-commerce in the same way that we've managed to do for most goods in the past? Uh, to try to prevent barriers to trade uh, unnecessarily, like like tariffs or levies on e-commerce trade uh, that that some countries are talking about. Um, so that's the kind of discussion that's happening this week. Um, I think, if I'm honest, uh, there's not a lot of optimism that we're going to make major breakthroughs this week in terms of of global trade. But I think, at an absolute minimum, we need to make sure that we're not going backwards. Uh, at a time when there's a lot of geopolitical tension, um, uh, at a time when globalization is actually in retreat in many ways, uh, and as certain parts of the world are thinking in a protectionist way uh, around trade, uh, countries like Ireland and others need to promote the positive element of international trade and the opportunities that are there for that. And of course, you know, the Middle East and the Gulf region is a really good example of how international trade can create wealth, can create employment, uh, and also can ultimately provide stability and an absence of conflict. Okay, so clearly, uh, through, clearly some uh, big goals for the meeting this week. But I want to go back to your comments on the WTO dispute settlement mechanism. Now, you've mentioned why it's important to make sure it's an even playing field for both smaller and bigger economies as well, the importance of supporting it for e-commerce. But why is the restoration of this dispute settlement mechanism, why is that so important to Ireland? I have to wonder, do you see any short or long-term threats from the rise of populist parties over in the West to the very much rules-based multilateral trading system that, that's currently in place with the WTO at its centre? Well, I mean, there's no doubt, you know, we've seen the rise of, uh, of, of populist politics to the left and to the right uh, in, uh, in countries that, you know, have been central to uh, to uh, to democracy and to, uh, uh, to to fair global trade, uh, and we need to guard against that in the future. Uh, and um, the WTO is a big part of that, in our view, along with other multilateral organisations. Um, so you know, Ireland is a country that exports close to ninety percent of everything that it produces. Uh, it relies on rules that are linked to that global trade opportunity. And what we don't want to see is a return to large countries uh, trying to dominate discussion on trade 
where they're they're forcing binary choices on smaller countries in terms of being with them or against them, um, uh, where uh, large, powerful economies dominate on, uh, 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 on the basis of their scale rather than uh, an agreed... Um, uh, uh, agreed rules in terms of how global trade should operate. So, so that's why the WTO talks this week are so important uh, to actually bed down and to get agreement from the large as well as small countries on what the, the rules are for international trade uh, to make sure that that kind of populism and protectionism uh, that is undoubtedly a danger to global trade doesn't take hold. Certainly still some big challenges when it comes to enhancing a global trade. But uh, Minister, thank you so much for taking time for us. I know it's been a very busy week for you during your trip to the region, but we appreciate you sharing your insights with us today on Frankly Speaking. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you.